We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Congregation. I know that our 8.30 service this morning, I think there were about 104 present. It's certainly great to see you here today. Uh, if you're joining us on social media, you're welcome as well. Remember that next Sunday we'll move to a combined service at 9.30. And won't it be wonderful to have everybody back together again? In our services today, Brother Bo Gross will be leading our singing. Brother Jerry Barrett has the opening prayer. Uh, Brother Brandon Elliott will do the scripture reading. Uh, Brother Ken Forrest has the lesson. Jonathan Green will lead us as we have deserved the Lord's Supper. And Chris Beard will have our announcements and closing prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can assemble to worship Thee. Father, we seek to understand Your Word and not only understand it, but to do it. We pray that Your blessings would be with us as a congregation. We pray that our worship would be pleasing in Your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First song this morning, number two. It's all praise of God. We praise you, God, for the sun. Jesus, 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 Jesus,
Father, we're so grateful for this utterly beautiful day. It is such a joy to come together. May our worship be what you want to see and what you want to hear. May every facet of it be correct. Father, may always our thoughts be in line with thy wishes. May our words be what you want us to say. May our actions be what we should do. Father, may we always help our neighbor. May we always remember those that are hurting. May we never forget those that are in danger. And Father, may we always remember those and always strive to find those and bring them to thee, those who have not followed the gospel. Father, may everything you hear and everything you see today be in line with thy wishes. We are so eternally grateful and we're so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, for all that he went through, all that he did, all that he knew. He knows every one of us and may we all know him. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you'd like to mark the invitation, Psalm number 927. 927. Psalm before scripture reading this morning in Christ alone. If it's convenient for you, please stand as we sing this song. <clears throat>
Oh, man, that would be great. Brian Rowland's here today. He had surgery some weeks ago, but he's here and gay, and we are grateful that you're able to be here, and we praise God for that. Uh, we want to remember in our prayers Evelyn Floyd. She's going to be undergoing surgery at North Mississippi Medical Center in Tupelo next Friday, October the 1st. So please pray her surgery is successful. Kelsey Hodgen is leaving today to go to Knoxville. She's moving, going to be working with the Children's Hospital there. And we're going to miss her, aren't we? But here's how I see it. We are sending someone from Boonville out into the world. And all of the things that we have been able as a church here to contribute to her growth and the person that she is today, she carries with her to Tennessee. And as she grows in that area, although she's away from us, still will be a part of that. I want us always to think that way, that we are a family no matter where we are. And I know that our lives are going to change. People will come and go. But because we're family, when one of us goes to Knoxville, Tennessee, guess what? We all go to Knoxville, Tennessee. And we can be thankful when we hear good news about her progress and the good work that she does. And we will have grown from that. I'm going to hold that as a thought for myself, and I hope you'll do the same. Let's have a prayer, and then we will begin that portion of worship where all of us together will be joining our minds and our hearts and our desire to do together for the betterment of the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege it is to be assembled here today to worship you in spirit and in truth. We are thankful for everyone who is assembled here. We're thankful to see Brian walk in here today and for the progress that he has made. And we pray, Father, that he will have a full recovery. And we're thankful for Gay and her support of him and so many others that have contributed to his healing. We pray, Father, for Sister Evelyn, who is going to be having surgery very soon. We pray that you will bless her in that, that she'll receive the kind of results that her and her doctors are hoping for. And we pray that there will be a speedy recovery. We ask your blessings on Kelsey as she begins this new phase of her life. But Father, I pray that you will help her to know and to feel as though she is not alone, that we go with her. We pray she'll have great success there and that part of that success will be a result of what we have been able to contribute to her life. We thank you, Lord, for all that 
she'll be able to do in good that reflects her upbringing and more importantly, that will bring glory and honor to you. I pray, Father, that you will bless us in this time right now as we are studying from your word. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to understand the necessity and the conditions that exist for church membership. And help us, Lord, as members of your church to embody, to act upon the very things that we will talk about today. And if there are those present in this audience who are not members of your church, I pray that they will understand clearly your expectation of them. Thank you, Lord, for all that you will accomplish through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so cat's out of the bag if you were paying attention to the prayer. We're talking about necessity and conditions of church membership. Well, when you hear that, you immediately should think, I hope, oh, this is one of those fundamental kind of lessons. If that's what you thought, bingo, because that's what I intend to do at least once a month through the year. Dealing with things that I consider to be, and, and what I think the scriptures speak to as being fundamental, basic, biblical doctrine. This matter of church membership is important to the Lord. Now, I understand that there's quite a bit of division and uncertainty regarding the matter of church membership. So, talk about basics. We'll get down to the very basic level of what the scriptures indicate are the expectations. I know that there are some people who think that church membership is unnecessary altogether. They will say things like, well, give me Jesus, but, you know, forget the church. I've heard that lots of times. Or some people will say, yeah, I'm, yeah I think church membership is necessary, but it's not really essential to my salvation. Now, that statement says, yeah, I, I know it's important. I won't go so far as to just totally throw it out, but I, I don't really think in the long run it matters. It's something I choose to do. Maybe you don't choose it. Peace, it's okay. Well, the division occurs not between those two because those two are very closely aligned. The division comes between that sort of way of thinking and, for instance, the opposite of that, which I, I, I hold, that actually church membership is important. And not only is it important, but that it is essential for our salvation. Now, why is it that there's this divide? Why is it that people think so differently about it and are so flippant about church membership? Well, I've thought about that for a long time, and I've come, I've come to think that maybe these are some of the reasons, at least from my own experience. I think in some cases it's simply because 
people don't know any better. They don't know actually what the Bible teaches about church membership, and so they just dismiss it. They fall prey to what's pretty common. You know, you choose what you want to. That, that's our society today. So I'm pretty sure a lot of people fall in that category. They just don't know any different, haven't really studied it. Other people, I think, have studied it, have some information, but maybe they just they don't understand it completely. And sometimes we miss the point of something by just looking at some details of things. We can dismiss a few details before you know it, the whole doctrine's thrown out the window. Instead of understanding the matter from the big picture, what is it God's really expecting in terms of church membership? And then also, I think there's some people who dismiss church membership because, well, quite frankly, they become disillusioned. They become disillusioned about church membership because they look at people who they know are church members and they conclude that they are hypocrites. Have you heard that before? I'm not going to be a member of that church down there because that church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Okay, well, let's just go ahead and deal with that quick. You know what? First of all, buddy, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really in a position to judge anybody about their hypocrisy. I'm not. Because, whoa, cat's out of the bag. I'm a sinner too. It has nothing to do with whether I'm a hypocrite or some other kind of sinner. My church membership is really based on my faithfulness to the Lord, not, not my perfection. So if you could get over the idea of just, you know, judging people and putting them in some kind of box, you stereotype church members, if you could back up from that, you might find that with a few exceptions, some of the things we'll talk about today, uh, probably you align your thinking with those who would want to be members of the church. So let's think about the necessity and the conditions of church membership. Now, what I want to do with necessity is I actually want to break that down into two different parts. I want us to talk about the meaning of church membership to kind of give us the big picture that many people are lacking and then see the importance of church membership. We'll call that necessity. And then finally, we'll talk about what it is exactly that the Lord lays out as conditions for church membership. Okay, simple, easy peasy, we'll get the whole picture. All right, let's think first of all about the meaning of church membership. Now, when I say meaning, I am not asking us to go and get a definition of what church membership is. That's not what I'm trying to suggest with that idea of meaning. What I'm talking about is what it means to us. What, what, what value would we gather from church membership? What is the meaning? What, what is its application? It's, it's greatness to our lives, if there's anything. And I want us to start by, again, getting to some very fundamental points. 
If we don't get these points, then the whole matter of church membership really won't make any sense at all. The first thing that I want us to do is to look at a passage from Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Now, I'll give you a little background on this text of Scripture. This is one of those passages that kind of turns the corner in the gospel story of Jesus. And what I mean by turning the corner is, in depictions of the life of Jesus, there are different areas in his life that all of it just kind of flows together. Then it's like all of a sudden Jesus will make a startling or or very unique, a standout statement. And then from that point on, it's like things change. There are a handful of those kinds of moments in the life of Jesus where an event will take place and everything will kind of change or shift. This text is one of those. Now, the setting is that Jesus is off with his disciples and he's asked them what they perceive other people thinking about who he is. And of course, they give the usual answers about thinking he's either a prophet or some great man. Then Jesus turns and he asks them who they say he is. And of course, Peter makes the great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, in response to that, Jesus makes two points. Number one, he calls Simon Peter. And the word Peter there actually is the word for a rock, but it's actually for a little rock, like a pebble, a little piece off of a larger rock. So Jesus says, you're Peter, you are a little rock. But he says, on this rock, and then he uses a different term, referring back to the great confession that Peter had made, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, on this rock, that confession, I will build my church. Now I want to stop right there and just analyze that for a second. There are some things that you can see apparently from the English text that is a very good representation of what you find in the original language. Jesus says it's on this rock, on the bedrock, on the mother rock, on, on the solid foundation of the testimony that I am the Son of God. It is on that rock that I will build my church. Now, my is possessive. Jesus says, this is mine. But what does he say is mine? He does not say, on this rock I will build a multitude of churches, each one having its own doctrine and accepting various points of what I taught. He doesn't say that. He says, on this rock, on the foundation that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. Not plural, as though there were many. Jesus says that there is a singular entity that he refers to as the church. Now, the church comes from a word, ecclesia, literally meaning the called out. This would be a unique group of people, one body of people, who are being called out of the world, called out of sin, called out of the power of darkness. They're being called out of that which separates them from God into Christ. 
So there is, according to this passage, a singular essence of church, one church. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, that text says, among other ones, and there are several in this text, which is attesting to the unity that's to be found in Jesus Christ, especially in the church. But he says right here, and I just want us to kind of bring this one little statement out. He says that there is one body. Okay, so simple review. So far, we have found that there is one church, my church, Christ's church, and there is one body. Now, if you back up in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, you'll find out that he, and that's speaking of God, gave him Christ to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now watch that very carefully. He says, God did, that God gave Christ to be head over all things. Now you'll remember Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So I asked the question, who has all the authority? And well, that's easy. Jesus does. What would you use all of that authority for? Well, backing up from the matter of salvation, which he directly applies it to in that passage, in our text here in Ephesians chapter 1, he says he gave him to be head, to have all authority, over all things to the church. The purpose of that authority, all of it, was to bear upon the existence or the coming about of the church, his church. And then in turn, the church then would be Christ all in all. In other words, Jesus was to establish the church. He was going to put all of his authority into its establishment. Then once it was established, it would reflect him, all of him. Okay, so there's the one church, his church, which is, according to this text, his body. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is how it's described in the book of Ephesians. Again, chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are all members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that he, she respects her husband. 
Now he says, don't miss this point. I mean, we've been making this comparison between Christ and the church and the husband and the wife. Don't miss this, that in, in the outcome, in this comparison, husband and wives, you ought to get this, that the wife respects her husband and the husband loves his wife. But he says, the main point of this was, you know how that the man is to leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two become one? He says, just like that is true, so is true the church. Christ is the head, or he is the bridegroom, and the church is the body, or she is the bride. They, in this relationship, have become one, in the sense which he would describe just that few chapters earlier about them becoming a oneness of the church being Christ all in all. It isn't like I could have Christ or I could have the church. It isn't like somehow or other they are separate entities. The biblical concept is that they have become one in this union. So when it comes to an understanding or a big picture of the church, one can't have Christ without the church, nor can have one have the church without Christ. They and this idea are inseparable together. That's the general meaning associated with the church. But still again, I want us to grasp this, that a person can't just say, well, you know, I got you, Ken. I'll just join a church. <laughs> okay. Again, let's back up for a minute. Maybe you're thinking this is just semantics. It's just the words I chose, but let's be very careful about that. You say, I'll choose which church I want to join. Maybe some of you younger people haven't heard this before. I still hear it, but it was pretty common when I was growing up. And... Once in a while, I'll hear someone say it, maybe not just like this, but they'll mean the same thing. They'll say, well, you know, peace, it's all, it's all good. Just, you know, join the church of your choice. Join the church of your choice. Well, first of all, biblically, we've already said, that, I mean, choice suggests there's more than one, right? So you're not joining one or another church. If there's only one, then the matter of joining a church of your choice would mean, well, there are many, and there aren't. We saw biblically there's only one, one church, one body. And then the second part of that is the first part. <laughs> Join the church of your choice. You know, it's not that simple. I don't just show up and say, I like this, I'll do this, I'll do this. According to the text that was read for us a moment ago, Brandon read it, very last verse of scripture that he read. It said, verse 47, that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It isn't a matter of me joining a church or being accepted by a group of people. It's not a social club that I hope to be a member of. This is something that the Lord does himself. Why does the Lord do this? Well, because he's the head. He's he is the husband to the bride. He is the authority in this. All authority has been given to him. And so in order for one to be a member of the church that we read about in the Bible, 
it would be necessary not, not to select one and join it, but for the Lord to add us as a result of our having been, according to our text, having been saved. Okay, that's the meaning. Let's go a little bit deeper and let's ask ourselves, what then is the importance of church membership? I mean, after all, what, what's it all about? And I don't want to leave us with the wrong impression. Do not think, okay, Ken, then I'm going to go to the other extreme and, hey, I feel pretty good. You know, I'm a member of this church, so I must be saved. Again, maybe this is semantics, but let's don't get mixed up in the terminology. I've had lots of people in my past call up random people I've never met before in my life. I say, hey, uh, are you, Brother Forrest, are you the preacher there, such and such? Uh, yes, I am. Would you check the church roll and see if I'm still on the roll? I never met this person in my life. And I'll go like I'll have something on my phone with a record, church members. And I don't know, maybe their name's still on there. Could be. So, yep, um, yep, your name's still on the list. Oh, okay, just check it. Or maybe the elders will be going through the list and looking at names and say, wait a minute, I don't think I've ever seen that person before. And not because of the pandemic, not because they're afraid to come for fear of catching the virus or something like that. It's, well, they've fallen away. I mean, they have quit. They have made it their determination not to be a part of the work of the church, but still want to be a member you know, want to make sure my name's still on the roll. Wait a second. Here is a wrong impression. The wrong impression is if my name is on the roll book at the local church, I'm a member. And since I'm a member of that church, I'm saved no matter what I do. Wrong, 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 wrong. The church does not save you. Let's just get that clear. The church does not save you. You are not saved in the church. But the saved are in the church. The saved are in the church because the saved are in Christ, not because they have their name on a list somewhere. Just because I say I'm a member doesn't make it so. And if I fall away because of my sin and I'm outside of Christ, no matter whether I've got my name on the roll book or not, I would not be in a saved condition. What matters in my relationship with Jesus is whether I'm in him or not. If I'm in Christ, if I've been saved by Jesus Christ, then I don't have to worry about church membership. The Lord will, well, we saw it already, right? He will add me to the church. There is no name under heaven given among men by which no other name than Jesus given among men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Now, again, don't get the misconception. Well, then are you saying, Ken, the church doesn't matter? No, haven't we already discussed how important it is? It is one with Jesus Christ. What I'm suggesting to you is it isn't something we should just take for granted. That this is something we're involved in intimately. We are one with Jesus Christ in this church business as the bride of Jesus Christ. And he has put himself as the head over this house 
that we are living in. Again, Ephesians chapter 5 at verse 23. He says that the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Christ saves the body. The body is made up of the saved. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, the apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders says that they were to take heed to themselves and to the flock which is among you serving as overseers not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. In this case, he indicates that that church that they were to be shepherds over, that Christ had purchased them with his own blood. The church that Jesus died for, he purchased with his own blood. Those guys were to be shepherds over those churches, but not forgetting, not for one second, that that church is one that Jesus died for, precious to him. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, at verses 25 and following, we find just how precious that church is. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So here is a perfect Christ being joined together with a perfect church. Not perfect in the sense of our sinlessness, but having been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and staying washed as a result, not of our perfection, but of our faithfulness to the Lord. That signifies the importance of church membership, realizing what it is that we've entered into when we obeyed the gospel. So I, I can see the, the necessity of it. I, I see that there's great meaning, the big picture, and, and God wanting us to be a part and parcel, uh, parcel not only of, of the marital relationship that's described in Ephesians 5, but I see the one church and the one body, all those signifying the importance of the unity that's to be experienced there. And then of the importance that's put into it in terms of the purchase price, the shedding of his blood, and of the cleansing value of that blood, how that unites us together to be the perfect bride for Christ. Got it, big picture, beautiful. But what about the, what about the conditions? You know, how is it? You say, I can't, you say I can't just join the church well, if I can't just join the church, then how do I become a part of that church? Here's something that's interesting. And again, I would look at verse 47 of Acts chapter 2 again. He says that the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. So question, who is it that the Lord added to the church? How did they become members of that church? Well, it's stated right there in the text. Very last thing. Those who are being saved are the ones that the Lord added to the church. So here's a very simple step that we can take, right? The conditions for church membership are the very same as the conditions for salvation. Well, Ken, what, 
what exactly would that be? Okay. Again, not that I just kind of drive up and down the street, see what I think I like, but what is it that's required of me in terms of my salvation? What will cause or prompt Jesus to add me to the church? Well, you understand, of course, that if, if you're out there in the world, you just kind of walk around, you don't know anything about Jesus. First thing you've got to do is have some kind of experience through the word with Jesus. How am I going to know Jesus unless something is shared with me to teach me about Jesus? So Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and following says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I first, in order to establish any kind of knowledge or, or basis for belief, I, I've got to hear something about Jesus. And so I hear the explanation about Jesus. Maybe I read the Gospels for myself. I, I become knowledgeable about who Jesus is. But then I come to that very important question. Well, who is Jesus? You know, is, is he just as some of the people had said, he's just a great prophet or a great teacher? Who is he? How do, how do I come to the place where I determine, just as Peter did and the rest of the apostles there, that he's the Son of God? You know, some people that comes very naturally. Maybe you grew up in a family that believes that fact. For others, it's a difficult thing to grasp. I don't ever want us to think that belief is just such a simple thing. It is not. And to truly believe that Jesus not just a great man or a great prophet, but is the Son of God, is a leap for many people. But also understand that belief is absolutely necessary, having been prompted by the knowledge that comes through a study of the Word of God. In this text, Romans 10, verse 17, he told us that faith's going to come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I know that that's important, but listen to this from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It says that without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Many people do the first one. They believe God. But it is not just believing what He says, but... In the process of acting on what God says, we come to realize that in fulfilling the commands of God, there is a resultant benefit. And in our case, the leading of the Word of God, the resultant benefit can be the salvation of my soul. So I have to develop a belief. In fact, it is this serious from John chapter 8 and verse 24. Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am He... You will die in your sin. Okay, so right here is a pretty important point, right? I, I'm developing belief, but I've got to have such belief that not only, not only do I get it or grasp the story, but I've got to understand kind of the kickback from that. What is the result or the benefit of believing in God and all that He has to say about His Son? 
And then is going to come a moment when I have to make a decision. If I truly believe that these things are true, then I know already that a change of life has to ensue. So I've got to repent. Now, the Bible's full of texts related to repentance. Here is a general statement about repentance. It's actually stated twice in Luke chapter 13 at verse 3 and verse 5. Unrelated sort of situation, but the idea of repentance is the same. That unless you repent, you, you will perish. If you don't change your ways and walk in the way of God, you are going to perish. On the day of Pentecost, when the gospel was preached for the first time and resulted in the beginning of the church. In verse 38, the very first thing that Peter said they had to do in response to their cry about what to do, he said, repent. So repentance, a change of mind and heart and direction of the life is absolutely necessary. But then with a mind to repent, I'm also going to be of a confessing nature. That is, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. And I'm going to acknowledge, maybe for the very first time, that truly Jesus is the Son of God. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now I want you to notice something about that, as is also true of the other passages that we noted. Every single one of those is constantly looking forward to something. Salvation. You know, believe, I can be saved. Repent, I can be saved. Confess, I can be saved. It leads right to it. All of those things revolve around the matter of belief. If I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, all of those things are going to become a part of my response. But belief is not salvation. Belief is a prerequisite to salvation. Belief won't cause the Lord to add you to the church. In Acts chapter 2, our text at verse 41, it says those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Did you see that? They all gladly received they believed, they confessed, they repented. We're good, but you're not good. Not until you are, according to this text, baptized. In fact, back up at verse 38. Remember the first thing that he said was to repent. But he had a, a conjunction there. It coordinates the whole thing. He said, oh, wait, not just repent, but repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. To repent and be baptized resulted in the forgiveness of their sins. Not just an acknowledgement of Jesus, not even simply a willingness to do differently. It was a change of heart and change of life for sure. And then it was a death of the old person. Wait, Ken, what are you talking about? Well, remember, we don't just enter into the church. The whole transaction occurs because we enter not into the church, into Christ. When we're in Christ, Christ will then add us to the church. What do you mean by in Christ? Well, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, 
It says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, I put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you see how that brought together everything? How that there was one church and one body and how Christ is the head over that one church, that one body. How that the body and the head are joined together in this relationship in the church. And now he says, in order to be in Christ, we have to be baptized. But when we're baptized into Christ, we become, well, there's that word again. We become one with Jesus Christ. That is, this isn't just, well, I want Jesus, or I want the church, or I want neither one. This is the idea of Christ in the church and us being added to that relationship through our obedience to the gospel. Or put another way, I did mention a death here. And that's a similar passage in Romans chapter 3. Or Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. That text says, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. In verse 7, he says that he who has died has been freed from sin. The person who dies is freed from sin. Who died? Well, you died when you were buried in baptism. That's the death we're talking about. And you resurrected to a new life, set free from your sin. And when you did that, free from that, having been washed and purified and sanctified, as Ephesians 5 talked about, then the Lord did what? He added you to the church. The conditions of church membership are exactly the same as the terms or the conditions of our salvation. There's no doubt about it biblically. The necessity and the conditions of church membership. In terms of the necessity, there's great meaning to it. And we've, we've touched the surface, but we ought to have a grasp of the importance of the relationship of Christ and the church. And then in terms of the conditions, what's expected of, again, no question about it. Not only do I have to entertain the word of God through hearing it, then there's a response. You know, how, what do I think? Do I believe that that's true? And in believing that Jesus is the son of God, that God raised him from the dead, then I, I'm, I'm motivated to change my life. I'm going to be different. You know, I'm not, not going to be the same person driven by, by the world anymore. I, I want to follow Jesus and I'm going to confess that faith. And within that capsule of belief, then I approach my own death. The definitive moment when I obey the gospel and have my sins washed away in baptism. Pretty simple. Are you a member of the church? If you're not a member of the church that we read about in the Bible, if you haven't obeyed the gospel and then the Lord added you to that church, if that isn't you, I would really like to know why. I'd love to know why. If you haven't been added to the church, if you're not a member of the Lord's body, not a part of his 
entity, the bride, and you have this knowledge now, I'm wondering why you wouldn't act on it. Today could be the day. One of those days that you mark in your life a significant change. This will be a change that will result in eternal life. If there's anybody who needs to respond today for any reason, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand and sing together. Jesus,
At this time, we're going to take of the Lord's Supper. Uh, before we begin, if you will, raise your hand if you did not get one of your communions. One of the ushers will bring those to you at this time. Okay. Okay, I'm going to read a brief passage to you this morning that relates to uh, the sacrifice uh, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that uh, we partake of the Lord's Supper in His memory. And I'll be reading to you from Hebrews chapter 9, and verses to go along with this will be 16 through 22. This is going to remind us of what our Lord was supposed to do. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. But when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. You know, as Brother Ken mentioned earlier in his lesson, that baptism is necessity. It's true. Uh, the water of baptism is symbolic to the blood of Jesus, which has the ability to remove sin. And so we're reminded from this text this morning that I read to you from Hebrews chapter 9, that it takes sacrifice of something living in order to purify and sanctify. And it took the sacrifice of our Lord in order to give us the opportunity to have our sins removed. And so, with that being said, we'll go on into our uh, taking here of the bread first. If you will, bow your heads while we thank our Lord for the, for the bread. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer this morning thanking you for all the blessings of life you bless us with. We thank you, Father, for the sacrifice of your Son. We pray now that each one of us will partake of this bread and examine him or herself in a way and manner that will be well-pleasing in thy sight. And all these blessings we ask in Christ's name. Amen.
Okay, likewise, we'll also um, go to our Lord in prayer, thanking Him for the blood sacrifice that He offered for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer this morning again, thanking you for all blessings that you bless us with. We thank you for that precious blood of Jesus that was sacrificed on the cross of Calvary for our sins. We pray now that each one of us will partake of, examine ourselves and partake of this cup in a way and manner that would be well-pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, up on the screen, you'll see several different means or ways in which that you can uh, provide contribution or give back to the Lord as He has prospered us. And He has blessed us all very greatly, and we're thankful. So at this time, we want to give um, thanks to our Lord for all the blessings that He has blessed us with. And if you will, bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer this morning. Humbly, thanking you for all of the blessings that you have richly blessed each and every one of us with here upon this earth. Father, we are thankful that you have given us the health and ability that we have to be able to work with our hands, to be able to provide for our families. And we pray now that uh, at this time that we will remember, Father, that all these blessings are from you and that we will cheerfully give back a portion of those things that you have blessed us with so that we can further the work that's in your kingdom. We ask all these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome each and every one of you to our Sunday morning services, especially to our visitors, both here in the congregation and online. It's our great pleasure to have you worshiping with us today, and we hope that you've been spiritually uplifted by the lesson brought before us. Our next scheduled meeting will be 5 p.m. this evening. Just a friendly reminder, again, services 930 next Sunday, only one service. This morning, we had uh, 235 in our 1030 worship service. Uh, there's a devotional at the Landmark Nursing Home, 4 o'clock this afternoon. If you can help with that, please see Jim Estes. Lads to Leaders kickoff. Uh, please see the bulletin on some information on that. And also, the Golden Circle will be having a breakfast tomorrow morning, uh, going to the pit stop in Corinth. They will leave the annex at 8.15. That is all the announcements I have at this time. If you would please stand and we'll be dismissed. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to gather together to worship you today, Father. Father, we pray that we have all opened our hearts to this lesson, that we have examined ourselves and brought it into our hearts and ensured that we are living according to thy will. Father, we pray especially for those who are mentioned as sick, those who are in the hospital, those who are hurting. We pray that you will be with the doctors and the caregivers, that they will receive the care that they need. 
Also, Father, we pray for any that have lost loved ones, that you will be with them, comfort them, and be with them as only you can. And Father, we pray a special prayer for those who are recovering, those who are able to get back and and enjoy uh, some semblance of life. We ask you that you will be with them and help them to grow stronger day by day. And also, Father, for the spiritually sick, those who have examined themselves and either privately or publicly admitted they have sinned and are, are trying every day to do better. Father, we ask you that you will be with each and every one of us. Go with us, guide us, and keep us near thee. In Christ's name, amen.